0: Have you ever heard God speaking to you? Not necessarily in an audible voice, but have you ever heard God calling you to do something really big? Something outside your comfort zone. And maybe if you've ever had heard God calling you to do something like that, you've heard another voice down in your mind, in your heart. It's that sinister voice of doubt saying, could you really do that? I mean, seriously, could you really do that? What if you failed? What if you failed in God's cause? The title of my message today is simply, To Fail in God's Cause. It was Tuesday, January 3, 1956. Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador, For years, they had been dreaming and planning of this moment. Their hearts were set on reaching the Alka Indians with the good news of Jesus. Now, the Alkas, if you understand, were a notoriously dangerous tribe. No one had ever reached them before. Some had tried. Some had even exchanged gifts. But always, the Alkas had attacked them. For three months now, these missionaries had been flying their small plane... Regularly over the area, dropping small gifts, shouting out greetings, trying every way they could to make contact and to share with these Alka Indians that they were friendly, that they wanted to be friends. Finally, they landed. They built a small hut by the river and waited for the Alkas to find them. Now, they knew the dangers. Their wives had discussed the possibility of becoming widows. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, says they went simply because they knew they belonged to God, because he was their creator and their redeemer. They had no choice but to willingly obey and serve him, and that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation, even the savage tribe of Alcas. On Friday, January 6, three Alcas, one man and two women, approached the missionaries, they exchanged greetings. The missionaries showed them some simple things, rubber bands, yo-yos, and balloons. The man even took a ride in the airplane. On Sunday, January 6, they were due to Radio in at 4.30. There was silence on the radio. No message came. So a plane was sent, and later a rescue party. Four bodies were recovered, They were all lanced to death. The fifth was not found. It seems that they were ambushed. All five had become martyrs for the sake of Christ. They had not even begun to reach the Alka's for Christ. Jim Elliott and his friends apparently had failed in their mission. They had failed to see the accomplishment of their goal, of God's calling to evangelize the Alka people. You know, Jim Elliott once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. Jim Elliot was willing to sacrifice all for God's cause, and he paid the ultimate price in God's service. He was willing to go, and yes, he was even willing to fail in following God. Amen. Have you ever set out to do something that God asks you to do, only to have the plan totally backfire in your face? I mean... Of course, anytime you follow the Lord, we expect to find some kind of face some kind of opposition. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it, right? That's right. I get that, but I mean, if you ever set out and had things turn off so badly that you look like a total failure, That's right. have you ever set out to follow God and even things turn off so bad that even your closest friends tell you you're nuts? Think about the patriarch joke. Now, Job was a man of God. He followed God, and he truly, he'd done nothing wrong. But all of a sudden, it's like the forces of of hell were against him. And he was was inundated. First, he loses his family. He loses all of his possessions. Finally, he loses his health. And even his own wife comes and says, Curse God and die. Why are you living like this? He was simply living his life. And Satan came after him. But don't you suppose that the story would be different for the story of Job? If God had given Job a special mission, like if God had said, Job, now I want you to be a missionary and go halfway around the world, God would have protected him, wouldn't he? Don't you think? That would seem logical to me. I mean, after all, God wouldn't allow those in his service to fail, would he? But you know, it seems that failure or apparent failure is all too common in the life of God's servants. That's right. Sometimes, for sure, God's servants bring it upon themselves. We, we are all too good at, at uh, messing our own lives up, aren't we? Amen. But sometimes it seems that God's most faithful servants face insurmountable failures, apparently not for any cause that we can see. Why is that? And what lessons can we learn from these failures to cope with those times in our own lives that we feel like a failure. I want to look at several ways that we might fail in God's cause and ways that we can understand, perhaps, a little bit more the reason for these failures. Well, you know, the first way we might fail in God's cause is if we simply refuse to follow God's leading. You're doomed to failure if you don't start, right? Take, for example, the prophet Jonah. I was reading the book of Jonah, and if you want to turn there with me into the the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. God sent Jonah a message, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God sent Jonah on a mission. So he gets up, he leaves his house, and he starts walking. But instead of walking to Nineveh, he walks in the opposite direction. He goes down to the seaport, and he buys a ticket on a ship, going as far from Nineveh as he can possibly go. He gets on the ship, and his, his uh, shipmates ask him, well, where are you going? I'm running away from my god. Oh, no problem. You, you know, all of the gods in that, in that time, the gods that everyone would serve, they were local gods. We're going a long ways away. This is the furthest you can go on the Mediterranean Sea. You'll be far away from your god. No problem. But soon they did have a problem. They ran into a storm like none had ever seen before. And everyone on the ship began calling out to their God. And they looked for Jonah and they couldn't find Jonah. Finally, they found him and they said, Jonah, you've got to pray to your God. And Jonah starts praying. The storm doesn't get any better. So finally, they cast lots and they say, Who's responsible for this? And the lot falls on Jonah and they say, Jonah, who, where are you going? What God do you serve anyway? I serve the creator God, the God that created the land and the sea. What? You didn't tell us that. You're running away from God and you're running away from the God who created the sea. No wonder there's a storm. What are we going to do to you? Throw me overboard. (laughs) So they threw him overboard and the sea became calm. You know, everyone in that ship was converted just like that. Everyone in that ship And you see, as you see Jonah in the end of chapter one, you see Jonah sinking down beneath the waves and you see all the men on that ship kneeling down in prayer and worship to the true God who created the land and the sea. And you see Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. And in Jonah chapter two and verse one, he says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Yes, Jonah's first mission ended in failure and a rather miserable submarine ride back to his starting point. <laughs> you know, we can fail if we refuse to follow God's leading. That's right. But I believe another reason that we so often fail in God's cause is because we fail to believe him. We lack faith. And so we try to do it on our own or we just don't do it at all. They find in this story, this story in the Gospel of Matthew, it was just after the transfiguration of Christ, up on the mountain, with three of the disciples there. Christ is transfigured, he speaks with Moses and Elijah, incredible experience, and they come down from the mountain, and they find the nine remaining disciples down there, and you could see by the long looks on their faces that they were in trouble. Here's a father with his demon-possessed son, and they had tried and failed to cast out the demon. We find that there are Matthew chapter 17, verses 15 to 21. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 15. Hear the cry of this father, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Listen to Jesus' response. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out from him. and The child was cured from that hour. Jesus succeeded where the disciples had failed. Is it because this is something that only Jesus could do and the disciples couldn't do? Well, of course, in their own strength, the disciples could do nothing. They had just found that out. But as Jesus says, you lack faith. Verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. That's right. Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and there to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You know, on Thursday nights we meet here and we have our prayer meeting, and we've been going through and studying the prayers of the scripture, and it has been a blessing to me just going through and reading the words of prayer found in the scripture. I believe that for many of us, including myself, we don't know what it means to really have Faith to really grasp hold of the hand of God and to experience his power. And yet he offers to give that to us. One reason we fail in the commission that God has given to us is that we lack faith. We're not spending that time in prayer. We're not grasping hold of the power that he offers to us. But you know, there's something else. I think too often... The devil gets in our hearts and gives us doubts. And it's connected, too, with the trials that we face. Oftentimes, when we go out to do the work that God has given us to do, inevitably, we face trials, little failures, discouragements, and we think we've failed. But we find in James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, James says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, I believe that far from being a failure, having the little trials in our life are actually God's workmen to strengthen our faith for the larger crisis. What about when we really fail? I mean, when it looks like it, we're an abject failure, and we can't think of anything that we've done wrong. Turn with me to Exodus chapter five. You know the story story of Moses. He was born in Egypt. It was a time of terrible oppression and slavery, and, and it was a miracle of God that he survived the infanticide that was going on at the time. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace, but from childhood he knew that his mission in life was to deliver God's people. He killed an Egyptian in his own, his own wrath and had to spend the next 40 years in exile in the land of Midian, herding sheep in the wilderness. But God was using this time of trial to prepare him for the greatest test of his faith. That's right. When God called him to go back to Egypt... If Moses had thought his hardship was over, he better think again. Moses returned to Egypt. He gathered the Israelite leaders, and he explains to them God's plan to deliver Israel. And together, Moses and Aaron march into Pharaoh's palace with this message. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. You know the saying it gets it's going to get worse before it gets better. Well, that certainly was true of the children of Israel. So Moses goes and he pleads the case of his people to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh refuses to listen. Verse 4 then the king of Egypt said to them, "Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh's like, you're just nothing more than a Hebrew slave. Go back to work. I'll show you, says Pharaoh. I'll show you who's the boss. Moses, he's organizing a labor union, always demanding better pay, more time off. Huh? I'll show him. So Pharaoh issues a command to the taskmasters of Egypt. Make the people work harder. Tell those slaves they have to make the same number of bricks as before, but I'm not giving them any straw. Obviously, they don't have enough work to do if they're going around here asking for vacation. So the taskmasters begin demanding that the people work and beating the people and the Hebrew supervisors mercilessly. So the Hebrew officers send a delegation to Pharaoh. Why are you doing this? This is unreasonable. But Pharaoh retorts, and look at verse 17. You are idle. You are idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So this this delegation of officers. These are the leaders of the people of Israel. They're coming out of Pharaoh's palace and who should they meet but Moses. Imagine yourself being in Moses' place for a minute. He's followed God's command. He's done everything that God has asked him to do. He's gone and spoken with Pharaoh. Now, the Israelites are hardly trusting him to begin with, but they're like, okay, well, you know, this is okay. But now, He's made a mess for everybody in Israel. Look at the, the words of the officers, these hot words. As they come out of Pharaoh's palace, the officers said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Look at what you've done, Moses. You've made our life twice as hard as it was before. You you said you were going to deliver us, and you've done nothing. You've made us work twice as hard. In verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses had no response to the foreman. He'd already told them everything that God had told him. He had been moving forward in faith, doing exactly as God has instructed him. And apparently, he has failed miserably. I want to ask you, why had Moses failed in God's cause? You know, some people fail because they refuse to follow God's leading. But this wasn't the case for Moses. Some people fail because they lack faith but this wasn't the case for Moses. He's been acting in faith all along. No, in fact, Moses hadn't failed. Although, to all appearances, he had. You know, I believe this brings me to the third point that I want to make. And that is sometimes we face apparent failure in God's cause. Not because God has failed, not even because we necessarily we have failed, but because we don't fully understand God's purpose. In hindsight, we know that God was working through Moses to bring Israel to deliverance. God was working through Moses to strengthen Israel's faith. God would go on to work mightily to deliver Israel, to build their faith, and to royally defeat Pharaoh and all of his armies. But they would not see it yet. Moses could not See the end from the beginning. He knew God had promised to deliver Israel, but here he's crying out to God, "God, why have you done this? Why have you allowed us to fail so soon? But God was not finished yet. And what about Jonah? Jonah had blown it. He had failed, and it was his own fault. He gets spit up on a beach in the middle of nowhere, covered in seaweed and slime. His skin's probably bleached white from being in the stomach of this whale. And he hears a message from the Lord. Go and preach to Nineveh. So he gets up, washes himself off, puts on a change of clothes, and marches to Nineveh. He gets to Nineveh, and Nineveh is a a city three days journey across. He walks into Nineveh and starts proclaiming, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He walks another day's journey in, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 39 days, 38 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. This is the message God told me to give. And his utter, to his utter surprise and amazement, the people listen. The merchants, the shopkeepers, the peasants, the king on his throne, they listen. The king comes down from his throne and sits in sackcloth and ashes. Everyone in the city repents. Jonah gets down 10 days, 5 days, 2 days. He's making his way out of the city. God's going to destroy the city. He walks up to a hill, builds a little booth, and he starts to pout. He says, God, I knew you would do this to me. Now, I'm another failure because I'm a false prophet. I've pre- predicted for 40 days that Nineveh would be destroyed, and you're not going to destroy him now. I know it because they've repented, and now I'm a false prophet. Jonah had become... Yet another failure in God's cause. Never mind the fact that two times in a row now, he's preached an evangelistic series and everyone was converted. I'd say that's a pretty successful evangelistic series if you have a 100% baptism rate, right? (laughs) That's pretty successful. But in Jonah's mind, he's an absolute failure because he didn't understand God's purpose. God's purpose was never about making Jonah a great prophet. You know, God's purpose was to save people. And through Jonah, he saved a whole ship full of people. Never mind that it was Jonah's running away that caused it. And through Jonah, God saved the city of Nineveh. Amen. But you know, I don't think that the story of Jonah is so much about the ship or about the people of Nineveh as it is about God trying to get through to Jonah's heart. Amen. And at the end of the story, you see God and Jonah having a conversation about a little vine. And I like to think that finally, at the end of the story, it's not said, but I like to think that finally, God got through to Jonah's heart. Amen. Through that little vine that grew up and withered. Jonah was a failure in God's cause because he didn't understand God's purpose for him. You know, I think this was the case for so many Bible characters. I think of John the Baptist. John, the one whom Jesus said was the greatest of all the prophets, the one who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, the one who baptized Jesus himself, his life ended in failure. Or so he thought. In fact, he came very, very close to losing his faith as he sat there languishing in prison. And he sent his disciples to say, Jesus, are you the Christ or should we look for another? Because although he proclaimed God's message, he really didn't understand the nature of Jesus' mission. You know, I believe this was the case for Job. Job had no idea why all these trials were falling upon him. He couldn't see behind that curtain. He couldn't see the invisible world of the universe, this battle raging between God and Satan, and all of it hinged on Job's response to the trials that Satan had brought to him. You know, I believe this was the case also for Jim Elliot. As he lay there on the beach in that remote jungle of Ecuador, dying, it would have seemed as though his life work was a failure. He would not know that after his death, his beloved wife, Elizabeth, and their young daughter would come to live among the tribe of wild natives that had killed him. He would not know that through their work, this savage tribe would come to know the gospel of Jesus. He would not know that the story of his life and death and the story of his wife and daughter and their sacrifice in bringing the gospel would become an inspiration to countless hundreds, and thousands of missionaries, an entire generation of missionaries carrying the gospel to every known part of the world. Mother Teresa once said, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. My friends, today, perhaps we face insurmountable obstacles. It may seem as we look back over our lives that we've been an absolute failure. But my friends, that doesn't really matter. What matters is this. Have you been faithful? As you look back over your experience, can you say, I've followed God in faith where God has led me to go? And you know, even if not, we don't have to despair. Because like Jonah, when we find ourselves on a beach or in the belly of a whale, We can get up and turn back to God. And he can give us another chance. He's called you. He's shown you what he wants you to do. Don't waste another day. But if you look back over your experience and you can say, yes, I have faithfully followed God's leading. No, I haven't been perfect, but I've been faithful. Then my friends, trust his promises. You may not see success. You may never see success this side of the kingdom. You may never fully understand the purpose he has for your life, but you can know that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you can trust him to know that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and of those who are called according to his purpose. And because he is faithful, God's cause will not fail. Our kind and loving Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for giving us the faith, the victory that overcomes the world. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to be faithful to you. And Lord, even though we don't always understand your purpose in our lives, help us, Lord, to keep our faith fixed firmly on you, to know that your cause will never fail. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.